The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. G'day everyone, Mac19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio. Joining me in the co-host chair once again, we have the lovely Portia. G'day Maka, how are you? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, not bad, but I'm a little bit uh, worried with the, the guests we've got on tonight. I just feel like I um, have someone looming over my shoulders waiting to take my spot. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. He couldn't stay away. Back on the <laughs> podcast. Is Fishing Rick? I'm third. What's the hell's going on here? Third in line. <laughs> You've got the guest this evening, and you're not coming on again for another month, so bad luck. (laughs) Oh, well, that's right. I'm sure I'll get a facial to make up for it or something. How's that, Macca? (laughs) Sounds wonderful. How are we all going? Really good. Very well, thank you. Very well. It's good to see it hasn't skipped a beat, and no one's missed me, so uh, I know where my place is in the world. Uh, uh, I'm sure people have missed you. They must have, right? Oh, Raman. Raman's missed me. So I'll shout out I'll shout out to Ramin and I've got to say, as you know, I was at the game and I'll I've got to do a shout out to Sean. I don't know Sean's last name, but he's a friend of that crazy big owl, but um, he's a big fan of the Rickster. So Sean, I know you're probably listening. Um, you know, thanks for the love and yes, he was shocked, guys, that I sounded the same in real life as what I do on the podcast. <laughs> what a what a crazy notion that is. What I feel this is some sort of cash for comments type situation you're going through here, Rick. <laughs> Are you paying people to say, get me back on the podcast? No, there's a lot of there was a lot of fan loving out there. And I've got to say we went to the, the Emerald is it the Emerald Lakes Golf Club? And before the game and we were having a beer there at one of the benches with a with a couple of guys and I thought I'd test the water out, and so I mentioned Port Fan Radio, and they're like, "Oh, we know Port Fan Radio." So we've got out there a little bit, guys. So a few right. people have, We're in have heard us That's right. all the way up in Queensland. Oh, well, it makes so sense. So one, one of I our think... six listeners is in Queensland. That's great. Yes. Well, I mean, I think that back in the day, like outside of Victoria and South Australia, I think Queensland was traditionally the strongest Port Adelaide support base. So lots of South Aussies up there, and I guess there must be lots of Port fans too. Yeah, and I recommend going up there for a uh, for an excursion if you're a Port fan and want to watch a game because the Emerald, Emerald Lakes put on a great show and it's, it's a good location and um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it right across the road from the stadium and uh, yeah, chicken palmies are pretty good there. Cheap beers, five dollars stubbies, can't go wrong with that. Nice. Yeah, and I, like it. I couldn't a fully lit up golf course so you can play nighttime golf if you want to. Did you do that? Yeah, that is cool. That is pretty cool. No, I didn't do that because I went to the footy instead. But it is cool. I, I was like, what's with the floodlights outside? And then I had paid a bit more attention. I noticed that every hole was lit up. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I'd still hit a golf ball. Go in the rough. Because you I'd go into a dark spot still, I'm sure. I'd need a fluoro ball. That's it. But I digress. Well, look. Now, can I ask a question? Have either of you guys read Kane Corns' book yet? No, not yet. No. No, no, me either. I've read the excerpt, but not uh, not the book. Yeah, I'm trying. Couldn't really find it today. I tried to tried to buy it today, but couldn't find it. 
I, I really don't want to read the book because I think it's just going to make me extremely angry. And what's the point? <laughs> so I don't know. I just all I, it's all I think it's going to have in it is just things that make you go, "Oh my god, we're a rabble." <laughs> Not relevant now, though. Hopefully. Well, it sounds like it, it sounds uh, going by the excerpt that we were pretty much a rabble through yeah. the primish years. But uh, I guess you expect that when you finish second bottom and then lose to Gold Coast and GWS and lose by three hundred points in two weeks. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably just going to be a reiteration of stuff that we already knew, I reckon. Well, he's not going to speak highly of Primus, is he? Really? Let's face it. It was still a bloody good lesson, though, at least. He was a great player, and he was a great Port Adelaide figure, but, yeah, not not a coach. That's that's Mm. for sure. But not everyone can be a coach. There's a a big history of, um, you know, popular... You know, club players that uh, that really struggle to make it as a coach. So you know, he's not alone there. Don't forget one thing though. He gave it a he gave it a go, and we shouldn't criticise anyone for for giving it a go because it's it's easy to not put your hand up and do nothing than uh, to at least give it a shot. I think well, that's that... it. I mean, we had no money, no sponsors. You know, pretty poor list. You know, we're in the middle of sort of rebuilding the list. You know, had no assistant coaches. We had Fucking Brian McMillan coaching and Laidley coaching via Skype and all this garbage and going by the book we had you know the board sort of determining who was going to play each week and all this sort of stuff so it was probably dealt a bit of a shit sandwich so yeah but like as you say that you know he had to go but it's not like senior coach at Port Adelaide at any time in the AFL has been like a position that no one has wanted I mean we're still interviewing coaches. Interviewed what the the next year's premiership coach for Primus's position, if I recall, and Chris Scott. Um, That's right. Know, it's uh, and he wanted the job, but we went with Primus. So it's not that the position was, you know, oh, no one wants it, like being the captain of the English cricket team. Um, mm. It's it was a, it's a real position. So I don't think. Yeah, but you can't that. you can't blame him for being appointed. He put his hand up and he got appointed. So well, that's uh, you don't blame him for being but, appointed. Yeah, it's, 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 the decisions he made though. Yeah, he he was probably he was probably better off following Chris Scott's path than the Matthew Primus path with hindsight. Maybe. Mm. <laughs> oh, that wasn't anyway. very nice. That wasn't very nice, was it? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's keep going. I look forward to reading it personally. I reckon it's going to be a good read, but hopefully, it goes into more sort of details about some things that I want to know about. So, but anyway. Let's move on and talk about our love and hate, which is one thing we loved, one thing we hated about Port Adelaide this week. Portia, I shall start with you with your love. Um, Carl Amon, it's really great to see that Super we've got Carl. young guys coming up. And you, you got your three in a row, Macca, of young guys coming up. And uh, it's really good to see because what it means is when you've got young depth, you don't need to hang on to the old depth. Like, there's no excuse for it anymore. So you can clear up the list a little bit as well, which um, is a pleasing thought. Um, so, but Carl Amon, just his performance itself was really good. Um, kicking a couple of those goals, like we don't have many players that can kick those goals. We've got Chad Wingard that could kick those long goals, and that's about it, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that if he can show that he's a, a good, accurate long kick um, as a half forward, I think that we keep him in that role. I mean, stuff being a half back or a back pocket, um, we have a very strong need for half forwards, particularly. Given that someone like you know Jared Pollock, he's always going to be an injury risk, and we had some problems with Matty White this year. Um, I think that it's really great that he's sort of being able to perform that role, and I hope he keeps doing it. Yeah, he's going to be a player for sure. You know, three goals, a, a wonderful performance. And the thing that impressed me the most was 
you know, there was a lot of criticism around Carl Amon after his Collingwood performance. Um, and this week he had six tackles and he had more contested possessions than uh, uncontested touches. So, you know, mm. he's he certainly put his body on the line and, and won a couple of hard bowls. And, you know, to top it off with three great goals, you know, it was a, it was a fantastic performance. So, well done. And I, I can't wait to see what he does next year with another preseason under his belt. And, mm. you know, he's, as I've said before, he's almost like a mini Chad with his sort of uh, skill set and X factor and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you can never have enough of those sort of players. Yeah, that was I think he's... That was, yeah. How was his first goal? Did you love it? Yes. It was pretty good. It was pretty classy. It was, it was getting tough in those conditions, so uh, he executed really, really well. Let's see. What about you, Rick? What was your love? My love? Um, oh, you throw me. I thought we were going to go for the hates first. I reckon, uh, I reckon Sammy Gray. I'm a bit like you guys with the, with the underdogs um, coming through in the last... In, in the last month, but um, you know, a few people have posted online about amazing how when you play someone in their natural position, what they can do. And you know, I think because finals has sort of been out of the out of contention, we've um, uh, sort of given him a few more opportunities as well. But um, you know, he's I mean, he averaged what thirty disposals over the last three or four games uh, in the AFL at the highest league is a, a very very uh, classy performance. Uh, I think it shows that he has some value on the list, and and uh, and it's good to see, like you guys were just saying with them on, um, you know, a bit of pressure coming up from underneath, which gives us a bit of clarity on what we can do with the rest of the list. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We'll talk about Sammy Gray in depth uh, a little bit later on. Um, my love was Hammer. You know, we were pretty critical of him mid-year and. You know, he's really had a, a very good season this year overall and has definitely been in our top three to four you know, players for the season, in my opinion. And his form over the last two months has been exceptional. And yeah. you know, he, he really seems to enjoy playing in the wet as well. So he's my love for this week. Mm. Yeah. He seems to, he's found his niche, hasn't he? It's a good spot for him. Like it's, and it's a spot he can play for a long time as well. Yeah. Definitely. We've got a, a tweet. Bevan has uh, tweeted in and said that uh, he thought Cole deserved a Rising Star nomination. And you've got to say, if he hasn't got it, then uh, he might be a little bit stiff. Oh, no, he won't get one. If he played for Carlton, he would, but he won't. Fair <laughs> <laughs> Cole. No, I think if you go through the record, like you look through the, um, the Rising Star nominees, like Carlton have got a ridiculous number of Rising Star nominees on their list, like over, like, over 15 years or whatever it is. Um, and their performance really hasn't shown that they actually were rising stars. Um, yeah, very disproportionate. Mm. Oh, as long as we recognise the players that deserve to be recognised, that's all that really matters, isn't it? Yeah, yeah well, Gavin Wanganeen medal sort of contention is a bit better than a rising star nomination as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. That's it. And what about your hate, Porsche? Um, I hate that... We're talking about, we've talked about how these are sort of dead rubbers and we're winning them and it's kind of frustrating. But what I find particularly frustrating is that I, you could say that we're winning because there's no pressure, but you could also say that we're winning because even though it looked like it was falling apart and was total shit during the year, um, this is actually the fitness regime that we wanted in place where we sort of have a bit of a dodgy, do it just enough mid-year sort of period, which didn't work out and then followed by coming into really pretty decent form going into the finals, um, which is, yeah, it's a very Port Adelaide thing. It's a very premiership-aiming uh, uh, 
way to play out your season. And so if we just had not let ourselves down mid-season, we could be looking at something very different. But I don't think it's just that we're winning because we had the pressure off. I think it's also the fitness um, design as well. Mm. 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 No. You disagree? What does that, I don't know. What does that actually mean? Well, as in we prepared our players so that they'd be ready to go and perform in finals like you see every other mm. year. Like Fremantle's going to do this week, for example. You know, they, they what they do is they hold them back and then they're okay for finals. Like just prepare so that at the right end of the season you, you guys are actually in their top form, um, which I think but, what we're seeing with the key players is actually the case. It's pretty good as long as you qualify to make finals. Well, yeah, that's right. It didn't work, but I think no. it's the coach's fault. You don't think so? No, I don't. You're not blaming the coaches at all? I'm blaming the coaches. I don't know if I'm blaming yeah. the coaches. Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think it's the fitness Yeah, I don't think coaches. it's the fitness coaches. Yeah. No. I don't know. I think early in the season we didn't look fit at all, I don't think. But, you know, it also comes down to the mindset of the players. And I think overall I thought they maybe just thought that success would come this year, that natural sort of progression might actually just occur naturally but it didn't actually happen and you do actually have to work pretty hard to uh, to get success in the AFL so yeah. that sort of leads onto my hate a little bit and my hate is uh, not playing finals this year and what a missed opportunity it's going to be because every team in the, that top eight is very beatable you know a premiership is certainly up for grabs this year and as much as any you know we could really see a, a fifth to eighth you know, teams sneak in a grand final spot. You know, all of Richmond, Dogs, Crows and North are looking like they could knock off anyone above them on the ladder. You know, we've won, what, six of the last eight, probably going to win seven of the last nine. Um, you know, but it's all too late. So I, I really do hope this season really stings at the club and, you know, we, we make amends next year. I don't think any of Richmond, Dogs, Crows and North are going to make the top four. I don't, I don't think that's really likely at all. You don't reckon? No. No, no. No, I think they're. I think they're okay. mid-range teams like we've been this year. Really, they're the top end of them, but I think there's a pretty clear line between those and the teams above them. No, I disagree. I think Richmond have proven that they can beat anyone because they have beaten everyone this year. Yeah. They've beaten Freo. They've beaten Hawthorne. Beaten Sydney. You know, they've beaten all the challenges. But can yeah. they do it when it matters? Dogs have done the same. They've beaten Sydney. Yeah, Crows are looking in pretty red-hot form. North are probably the shaky one out of the the bottom sort of out of that sort of. Uh, fifth to eighth spot, but I think the other three are a, a red hot crack of maybe making a prelim. I reckon that's their I test kind of... this yeah, year, uh, this this week. Yeah, but also, I mean, the what the teams the, the teams that we've named, the way that they've you said they've beaten every team, and it's true they have because they've prepared extremely well. They've had really good opposition scouting, but in finals, you know. Um, all the top four sides, yeah, they might have got caught out by Richmond during the year, but they've had the whole year now to watch what Richmond is playing like this year. And it'll be interesting to see whether Richmond, can, Richmond, for example, or the Bulldogs or the Crows can hold up under the same heat coming the other way. And that's where I think we haven't seen that come through. And I think that in finals, that's exactly when you will see that come through. So you don't believe any of the top four have a chance of going out in straight sets? Uh, I think it's not particularly likely at all, really. No. I am with Porsche there. I think the top four will make it through to the prelims. Yeah. You would think They're so. Boring, I, I don't but... know. I, I still don't think West Coast are as good as what people are making out to be. I still think they're pretty... 
I don't know. I have a feeling they may fall down under pressure in the finals this year. I think maybe next year and beyond they might be a, a red-hot premiership chance. But this year, I don't know. Well, this, who are they going to play? This... They're going to play Hawthorne, who uh, I, I would expect them to win that game. Then they're going to come up against probably the Crows, who just absolutely thrash the pants off them. So, I don't know. Yeah. But did they... I didn't see the game, but, you know, did West Coast really care? You know, are they in finals mode already? They uh, they didn't look too upset at the airport when I was getting off the plane and they were getting on the plane. So, you know, maybe they're well, just... Well, look, uh, you're, you're a pretty young side. The thing that you don't want to do is take finals for granted because you do that, you're going to go out in straight sets like Port did in 2001. You don't stuff around with your form. So if, if they sort of went in sort of half-assed, then, you know, it could really tell against them. But what sort of performance did West Coast put up? Was it just insipid or... Shocking. Um, they, they, were, yeah. they were really poor. Yeah. It's, look, I, I just think they've been a very consistent side for the whole season. I'd be, I'd be shocked if uh, they stumbled. They, they've got some experienced heads in that, in that side and uh, I think they'll uh, follow through. And I think they should be able to take advantage of Hawthorne's older, older legs. And uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see. But even even then, assuming assuming the ladder doesn't change, um, West Coast will have to they'll have a home game, home final in Perth, and if they lose that, then they'll play the winner of the, whichever matchup it is in the bottom in the bottom four, and they'll play them in Perth too. You know, and that's always going to be a, a difficult thing to get past. Um, it's really hard for a team to get knocked out in straight sets, particularly when they have a strong home ground advantage. Um, sure, but we saw it happen it last could... year with Freo, so. Oh, yeah. Well, that's right. because well, Port was just never... too good. That's because we're legends, but that's exactly right. That it still happened. I don't know. I think this is a year where I don't know. Maybe we say this every year where people yeah. sort of get pretty hyperactive about those sort of fifth to eighth teams, and they think they're going to win the premiership, but in the end they get thrashed in the first week or something like that, like Richmond did last year. So yeah, mm. I don't know. We'll see. Could happen, but I don't know. I can see the dogs or the crows. Or Richmond. I mean, Rich, as I said, Richmond have beaten everyone this year, so they're probably the main one that could sneak up um, and maybe sneak a grand final spot if, they, uh, if they're lucky. Yeah. Well, the last time we snuck a grand final spot, it didn't actually have a positive outcome for us either. I <laughs> no. Look, I would be more than happy if Richmond got thrashed by 120 points in a grand final, believe you me. Uh, especially with Troy Chaplin on the screen all the time, that'd be great. But um, yeah, I think that you know we were in it to win premierships, so you know we need to build and get stronger. And this, what's happened this year, we've had unveiled um, a lot of really good depth. Uh, I think certainly on the flanks, we've still got that huge hole at key forward. But apart from that, we're certainly I think we're better now than we were at this time last year. Quite frankly, do you reckon that? Our list. Yeah, I reckon I reckon we know more about our list. I think we've got a, a better uh, understanding of our list and a better idea of what we need to do to put in the final pieces than we did this time last year. I would completely agree with that statement because our list last year was great with minimal injury, so the, the bottom end of the list was a complete unknown. Uh, but I think mm. some players have exposed themselves for the good and some have exposed themselves for the, for the worst. And uh, so I would completely agree with that statement. Yeah, three weeks ago, I think I said on the podcast, and I, I wrote a big rant on the forum saying that, 
you know, we've pretty much achieved nothing this year because we're not going to make the finals, we're not going to win a premiership that we were favourites for, and we've really sort of not discovered anybody that's um, really sort of stood up. Um, but I guess, you know, as we've said, the last three weeks we've discovered, you know, Sammy Gray and Brendan Archie and Carl Amon who have all sort of displayed the fact that they may be long-term AFL players with a bit of hope. Hopefully it's not a mirage. Hopefully um, they do become those sort of players. And look, if, if, if they can become those players and really add to our depth and, you know, push for regular, you know, senior football next year, I mean, that's just going to be fantastic for us. And I'm still concerned about our forward line um, going forward. Yep. And that's probably the, the main disappointment is that I still don't think Butcher's much chop. I don't think, um, and, no. and it's really sad that, you know, Shaw's been injured pretty much all year and Harvey hasn't had a crack. So we really don't really know all that much um, about our, our young forwards on the list. But you never know. Going into next year, hopefully um, hopefully that can be solved. I just but, think one other thing on that is that you mentioned the three young guys that have come in and it's been a real improvement. But I think that if we look at the guys that were already in the sideline, we were just talking about Hamish Hartlett a minute ago, and we finally found him a role that it looks like he'll be able to perform usefully for the side and probably keep fit for the whole time and play well for the rest of his career. I mean, that's fantastic to know that now, you know. We've had Wingard go from being a, wow, he's a bloody amazing player, and now he looks like he's a senior, like he's a full-on senior player now, as far as I can see. Um, yeah. He is just, he's everything now, and it's just amazing to watch, you know. We've had Ryder come in, and he's had his first year, he's had his clunky, awful year where he sort of takes a long time to settle, and he's started to settle, you know. It's been... We've seen a huge amount. Our defence, I reckon our defence this year has been better than it was either the last two um, because they've started playing really solidly and we've seen it at the tail end of the year, really solidly as a unit and backing each other up and knowing what their roles are and knowing what they need to do. I mean, they're a bit iffy mid-year, but at this tail end, they've been absolutely fantastic. So there's been huge development within the 22 uh, and that's the one that really counts for us, really matters for us because it's that, what, player 10 to player 22 performance that you really want to have on your top four it's going to be a proper top four side. And I think next year we can actually say we do have that. Yeah, I'd um, agree with that. I think our defence has stood up pretty well all year under extreme pressure. I think our forward line's done as well as it you know, could probably be hoped for, given the situation. I think the midfield's the, the area which has really let us down. So that's the area where, you know, I, I guess going into uh, this year, you would have said would have been um, maybe the most uh, secure or the, the safest part of the ground, I guess. But... You know, it's proven to be almost the exact opposite of that. So hopefully we can, um, hopefully guys like Gray and Amon and Archie can, you know, really push for, for regular footy next year and, you know, turn that midfield around and turn it into a top four midfield. If you think back to the great John Cale, his ability was uh, to find players that may not have been performing at the best, reallocate them into another position, which created a champion team and also a fantastic player. And I think, uh, as Porsche said, we're, we're starting to see that with a few players now. They're finding their niche, which will help create that premiership, hopefully, and champion team. So I think we are going in the, the right uh, trajectory. Unfortunately, we had to go back a step or two to maybe get there, but um, hopefully next year... Um, time will be on our side that it wasn't a complete waste 2015. And Macca, is this the longest hate segment you've ever had for your hate? Pretty much. This has gone on forever, <laughs> I've got to say. And just as a, a bit of a, a side note to my hate, Ben Lennon got the, um, got the rising star this week, who had 16 oh. touches, no goals, one tackle, no clearances, two inside 50s. 
what is going on there? And you can't even say it was sort of uh, built up over a number of weeks because last week he had five touches. So I think Carl Amon's a bit stiff. I think he's very stiff. I think the, I think the long time ago they meant they made it pretty clear that they don't pick the player on the round that they're in. Like I think we had one done against us where the guy got like five touches, but the week before against mm. Essendon it had a really good game. So I don't think they've ever said that you know you're going to get it and because he performed well in that one round. Um, yeah, and I that's right because I remember Lennon in the first game of the season actually had a really good game, so he did deserve his nomination. Sorry, Macca. Yes. Go. All right. Go. Uh, your hate. My hate is on. you don't laugh at my bloody jokes. Come <laughs> we on. didn't even play in round one. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, um, my hate. Haters have got a hate. What is it with the, you guys hating on Jasper Pittard, and especially people going to the game well, and putting what? on and putting on hate? Macca, oh. crazy big owl. You haters? No, seriously, my hate's the rain. Unbelievable. I was up in Queensland for the whole week and, you know, it was sunny every single day. Saturday, rain starts to form at about 6 o'clock and then it's constant drizzle until the end of the game and then it cuts off again and then it's perfect 25 degrees the next day. It rained literally for the three hours of the game that was on and then that's it for the whole time we're up there. Unbelievable, the weather. <laughs> Along with haters hating, the weather is my hate. Who's been Matt hating? I could have down last year as well. So. What was that, Porsche? Who's been hating Pittard? He's been great. Oh, crazy big owl was at that, the game because he sat with me. And I don't think he'll sit with me at the footy ever again because I picked on him. I'm sorry, Al. But he was, he was bagging out on Jasper the first half. Thought he had a horrendous game. Thought he was shit. Almost put out that... Horrible word that I'm not even going to say that has shit in it. And then Macca was saying that he was cracking. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was much chop in the first half, but I thought he had a ripper second half and really turned his game around. It was almost the the moment where he um, gut-punched Tom Lynch, um, almost with a shiv, it looked like. Uh, that almost turned his game around because he was pretty much faultless from that moment on. Um, you were at the game, Rick. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but like uh, in that first half when Pittard was apparently, I mean, was really not, he I mean, wasn't great, admittedly. Um, was there much movement up the ground? Like, were we actually uh, providing options or was he sort of left to invent something from nowhere? Um, yeah, that- we, we really slowed, we, we were really stagnant with our movement and mm. uh, we were really slow. Um, and we just did a lot of the down, straight down the line, wet weather football but there was there was minimal movement there for a while um yeah. but uh, yeah that so that wouldn't have helped but i mean look they were tough conditions they were it was obviously getting slippery as well and i think that's where the class players sort of uh, start to shine in in those conditions but well i i at the game live i didn't really notice that it, his game was that poor as what some people are are saying but um i'm only having a bit of fun with uh, with Macca and Crazy Big Air. There's no need to hang up on me, Macca, just because I don't agree with you, mate. Come on. <laughs> Steady on. Jeez. Yeah, he didn't really drop. I just put him on mute for 10 seconds. <laughs> no, I think there's a huge difference. Like, I think Pittard's one of those players that you, when you're watching him live and you're watching him on TV, like, you see a completely different game anyway, you know, I think. Yeah. Um, because well, so much of what he does depends on what the options are. What, I, what I've noticed over the last three weeks and what I love, and, it, and it's sort of infiltrated 
through um, a fair chunk of the side and not just Jasper is the uh, is the aggression where we're you know maybe a little bit dirty at times I know Jasper was getting into Martin and he really got into Lynch when he was getting into O'Shea in that uh, in that brawl but um, I really love the ag- aggression that he's actually bringing to the play and I think Part of our problem, if we go back to that discussion about where we went wrong in that middle section of the year, is I, I, I feel like the players were too meek. We were, you know, just trying to play the pure, happy football, relying on the umpires to look after us and, you know, good games, slap on the back, all that sort of stuff. And we didn't have that little bit of mongrel about us. And let's face it, every successful football side has a bit of mongrel, has a bit of dirtiness in them. You don't have to be like, you know, king here behind the play. Uh, but um, yeah, just uh, I like that little bit of uh, aggression. And your man Cam O'Shea brought it in spades as well, Porsche. And uh, I love that niggle. I, that was uh, fantastic to see. I want, I kind of wonder because it sort of seems to go hand in hand with the style of play as well. Because we're definitely playing a more, if not contested, a more dangerous uh, style of play where we actually, you know, get close to contested situations rather than constantly ping it out wide. I just sort of wonder if that just part it goes is all part of the one mindset. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. Yep, I think so. I think the more you sort of learn to relish the the hardness and you know copping a big bump and giving off a handball and all that sort of stuff, the more sort of aggressive you get. And you know, you know when you sort of um, when you're playing sort of hard, tough football when you're winning, you, you almost become a little bit unbeatable in that sort of um, in that regard. I think so. Yeah, I'd agree 100% with that. All right, let's move on and talk about, uh, I guess, the review of the game. Port played Gold Coast at the Gold Coast on Saturday night and emerged with a solid 37-point victory. Carl Amon, as we've spoken about, uh, kicked three goals. Uh, Chatty Wingard, Justin Westhoff and Matty White kicked two goals each. Rick, do you want to give us a quick overview of the game? Yes. The Can I be brutally honest? Yes. All right, people might not like this. I don't know what it was like on TV, but live, it was shit house. <laughs> it, was, it, it was it was what you would call a soulless, boring game to watch live. I don't know what it was like on TV. Yeah. Um, did it come across the same? Yes. It was interesting for about twenty minutes, and that was yeah. probably about it. <laughs> Outside of that, yeah. it looked like everyone was going through the motions. Yeah. So um, yeah, look, I took two rugby uh, fanatics with me. Um, obviously, based in Queensland. And uh, I was trying to explain them the rules, and it, and it was just a very difficult game to get motivated, and they were yawning, and uh, and I can't blame them. It was, but the weather came in, which really didn't help the spectacle, and I'm not sure what the scoreline would have been if it was a dry game, but I, I think we might have pumped them convincingly. But uh, because of the the wet weather, it sort of brought our skills down and the skills overall. Um, and like I said earlier, what we found is that. Um, you know, we did try our transition play and, and it did work quite well. Uh, but for a lot of the game, we were just kicking long down the line um, and then trying to, you know, get something over the back, um, you know, because because uh, of wet weather football. And that's primarily what we did. Um, the, the concern, which has been a bit of a concern for a lot of the season, is that with our high press that we're trying to do, um, I found that, you know, Gold Coast was able to get the... Uh, uh, the ball through that and into the open uh, space quite quite easily, um, but obviously with our domination in the field play, um, you know they couldn't really put scoreboard pressure on um, to really uh, maximise those deficiencies with our team defence still. But 
you know, overall, it was a, a workmanlike win and uh, there was that little bit of biffo there which sort of gave some sort of spice uh, to the game in, in pretty tough conditions. Uh, and, you know, we, we got the points and I'm glad we got the points so, because I, you know, I didn't want this tanking mindset that some teams take at the end of the season when they can't make finals. I want, it, I want us just to, to hit it hard and have that winning mentality and, uh, and we did that against a weakened opposition that was, uh, was missing key players. But, um, yeah, look, as we'll probably discuss in a sec, I thought Sam Gray was fantastic, Hamish Hartland. I thought Matty Broadbent um, had a pretty good game too. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like to call on, on Dixon. I would have had him in, the, in our top ten players. I, I thought he did quite well. And, uh, but one I reckon is starting to make some progress for the Gold Coast is Sam Day. I was really, he's a big guy now. He's, I was really impressed with his size and, and, he, uh, and he's starting to read the play well and I think he's getting there and I think he will become a, a reasonably good player and I think he suits that centre-half back position too when he plays there. But, um, but yeah, you know, we just had too much class and, uh, yeah, that, that's about it. We got the four points. Yeah, I thought we were... Um... Certainly to start the game, I didn't think we were playing to the conditions all that well. You know, we, we were trying to play sort of dry with a footy and trying to pinpoint passes and, you know, super quick handballs, and it wasn't really working. And as soon as we started playing to the conditions, I thought we looked a lot better um, through that sort of late second half of the... the sorry, the, the, the late part of the second quarter and through the third quarter, I thought we started to look a lot better. Um, you know, some, some players started getting into the game... Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, it wasn't a great sort of display of AFL footy and, you know, it was probably only sort of 20 to 25 minutes of good footy and outside of that it was um, pretty run-of-the-mill, I would have thought. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I thought the game was exactly what we already discussed. It was a bit of a slog and I guess both teams really just did what they thought they needed to. Um, no, both playing wet weather football. I think that it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was nice to get the win, but... I don't think we take too much more out of it, apart from the fact that everything seems to be working pretty well. Um, and, yeah, Sam Gray um, doing pretty well. Charlie Dixon, I think that's interesting that he can play that style of game because it's a tough it's tough for be a tall and play half-decent in the wet, so that's that's kind of good if he actually is interested in coming to port because we will have wet games. Um, we've had, I think, the last couple of years, we've had a pretty dry couple of seasons at Adelaide Oval, but uh, the wet will come back, you'd have to think, and uh, knowing that we've got someone that could potentially, if we get him, um, that could play well like that. That's nice to think. Mm. That's it. So, Sammy Gray just goes from strength to strength over the last uh, few weeks. Um, in the last, well, let's talk about um, his game on the weekend. First, he had 37 touches, 10 clearances, 8 inside 50s, 19 contested possessions. It was a, a wonderful game. Um, over the last five weeks, he's had 27 clearances, which is second behind Robbie. He's had 24 inside 50s, which is first at the club, second in contested possessions, second in disposals. It's just a marvellous turnaround. Yeah, it's a bit... Um, what it's reminded me of, and I know he plays a bit differently, but um, I know when uh, Paul Roos took over as the coach of the Sydney Swans, um, he was basically picking his own guys, and that was when Brett Kirk really got a good run, and he had a, a really great tail into that first season. I really feel like Sam Gray's sort of having that kind of finally a breakthrough uh, and we could see from the start of next year that he becomes a really solid player all the season long um, you just feel like something he's on the verge of something there potentially so with Sam Gray um, I've got an observation here I guess like on the plane I was watching the um, the replay of the 2004 
preliminary final against St Kilda. And it was it was interesting because they were, we're watching obviously Roger James keep us in the game in the first quarter, and Mick Malthouse was obviously commentating and and he was saying Roger James, you know, he's not the fastest guy, he's not the flashiest guy, um, but he keeps getting the job done. And I, to me, that's how what Sam Gray reminds me of of his last four weeks performances. You know, he's not the fastest guy, he's not the tallest guy, but he keeps getting. The job done, and you know it's it's a credit to him. And the I guess my question is to you guys: Is he getting the job done because he's getting more opportunity at this at the expense of player X now, but is doing it better, or has he just lifted his game to a completely new level? I think in part it helps that he is you know he's had a couple of good weeks, but it, it helps that he's like the, the probably the, the third person you try and shut down in our midfield. Um, and I think that you, 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 that's a pretty good call as far as Roger James. I'd also think of someone like, maybe not, I think this guy's might be a bit taller, but like Brad Saul from Hawthorne, um, you know, coming in and just getting a few good clearances now and then. Um, I think it's useful to just have all those numbers there that can do that. And I think that he's just benefited from being a little bit further down the pecking order than Boke and Gray, um, quite honestly. Mm. And so that's sort of put him in a position to capitalise. But you need someone to capitalise in that position, and we've got someone now, and Archie too to some extent. We've been banging on all year how we need one of those second-string midfielders to actually stand up and make yeah. a name for themselves and you know, really contribute to the team and not this sort of endless ring-around of you know, Young and Moore and you know, sort of prior Archie and prior sort of Sammy Gray before their, sort of, um, their last few weeks. But I guess it really helps that Sammy Gray is now being played in his more natural position. I mean, we were, again, we were sort of banging on last year and earlier this year that... He's not a forward pocket. He shouldn't be played as a Brett Ebert-style sort of forward where he's often the, the last man standing up there against you know two or three opponents. Um, you know, No one's going to be able to play well in those sort of conditions. But now he's playing as the midfielder, which you know he succeeds fantastically at in the SANFL, and he's now starting to put it together at AFL level, which is fantastic. You know, He's getting the ball in, in, uh, in tough conditions. He reads the tap so incredibly well. He's almost like a mini Robbie in that regard. You, you watch his sort of clearances over the last couple of weeks and his ability to, to, to win those taps whilst he's moving and break free is, has been a, a real sort of fantastic attribute. Do you think that, um, I mean, I don't know, I certainly feel this way. Do you think that um, as Port fans, I feel kind of foolish um, since over the past three years, we're all sort of saying, oh yeah, nah, Youngie, he's got something. He got a few clearances that game or, you know, we see some tiny little shreds of performance and from these young players and fringe players coming in and thinking, oh, yeah, no, that's good. And then the last three weeks, we've just been blown out of the water. And I just feels like this is the more the Port Adelaide standard we should demand, be demanding. We've just sort of been clowning around mm. a bit the last few years, just going, oh, yeah, no, Andrew Morgan's can make it. Um, I don't know. Like, we've had some great performances coming in from guys just uh, finally finding their feet. And we've had for years now multiple players on that fringe that just have not performed anything like that level, not even close. Can I just... Can I, just oh, dis- yeah. I mean, Youngie's so I- not had any game at the level that Sammy Gray's played in the last five weeks, not not anywhere near it, same as Andrew Moore, you know. Andrew Moore's played some pretty good AFL footy, but not the standard of what uh, Sammy Gray's shown in the last few weeks, and I've just got my fingers crossed that he's not like Mitch Banner. Mitch Banner, I think it was 2010, he had four or five weeks where he was pretty much best on ground every week, and you know, he just sort of, his career flitted out to be nothing after that, so... Fingers crossed that Sammy Gray can uh, can can uh, continue to improve next year, and 
really make a name for himself. Mitch I Banner wasn't. I was going to say, Mitch Banner wasn't as good as uh, what Sam Gray has done. And before, just quickly, Porsche and Macca, you got it with Aaron Young. Is he the unluckiest guy with the umpires, however? Because he seems to get screwed over with holding the ball free kicks or getting... And I saw he had a blatant push in the back and they still didn't call it. It's like, what the hell does this guy have to do to get on the right side of the umpires? I don't know. I haven't really put that together, Rick. Sorry. Yeah, that was my observation. He is a very unlucky guy when it comes to the bloody umpires. That was a shocking push in the back. Okay. Yeah. But that's no excuse. He's still, um, yeah, he's still way behind St. Gray. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Our boy Brendan Archie uh, had another solid game. He didn't get the quantity of the ball that he's had the last couple of weeks, but I still thought he was really important. You know, 18 touches, he kicked a goal. The fact he's hit the scoreboard the last few weeks has been great. Um, and the thing I really liked about his game was all those little blocks and shepherds that he was putting on at the stoppages. I thought that was uh, pretty crucial. I'm a big fan of blocks and shepherds at the stoppages. I think they are the unsung heroes of the midfield. I know that that uh, West Coast, most recent West Coast Premiership side, um, they were big on that stuff. They love that that sort of making sure that you have clear routes out of midfield from those blocks and shepherds. And if we bring that into our game, then we can actually um, really perform because it makes it a, a more useful possession for the person that's got the ball. They have a bit less stress. They have a bit more time to line up a, a kick and pick an option. And it's just we really want to see that every week from more than one player. From, we want to see it from every player. And that's really nice to see Brendan doing that. Agreed. The, um, you know, someone has to do the hard work, and as long as it's recognised by the coaches through continued selection, like Ken would appreciate and do, um, you know, it's a great thing. And, you know, Brendan, even though he didn't maybe have the stats that he had from the previous couple of weeks, he was still influential, and at least he was a player that was willing to get the boot on the ball and kick along in wet conditions and, and didn't try to do too much and anything too fancy. and. I like the fact that he's willing to give a have a fly and create a contest in a pack situation as well. So you can play that tall, small sort of situation. Yeah, you could. I'd rather have him do other things, but it's nice that he can do it. Yeah, well, if he's there, he might as well create a contest and bring the ball to ground. Yeah. I think his work on a forward flank has been a lot better than it was certainly at the start of his career. And he's... It's almost like he's starting to learn how to play that position, which he will need to do um, if he is to make an AFL career. We all know how great he is in the midfield, but you know he's always at this stage he's going to be a second-string midfielder, so he does need to learn that uh, that second position on the ground. And I think he's done a wonderful job the last couple of weeks of doing that. Um, it's the next player that I want to talk about is Nathan Cracker, who was up against his old side. I wasn't sure how he would go against the Gold Coast. So. Almost certain that they'd sort of put him under a bit of physical pressure and you know try and rough him up a little bit, but that didn't really happen. And I thought he was bloody fantastic across the half back line and was just cool as a cucumber. He's been really great coming back, and uh, I think that that's just really a, a great sign of how well that defence is working as a unit because he he knew what everyone else was doing well enough not to get rattled no matter what, and that was very clear. And so we, we got a good performance from him. Hopefully, whenever he player goes up against their bugaboo side, whatever it is, um, they'll do really well because the defence is such a unit. He's one of those guys that's just really sort of flying on the under the radar if you weren't a, a poor diehard, but he, he just keeps getting the job done and 
and even his skills in the in the conditions were pretty silky. And uh, you would think that with the with this preseason coming up, that he's really going to cement his side in the uh, in the starting twenty two. I would imagine. Well, that's going to be interesting because next year, we, I mean, we're playing four guys that you'd say were mostly halfbacks right now, and that's Pittard, O'Shea, Broadbent, and Cracker. Is that going to be our setup next year? Like, are we going to be a like the four attacking halfback side, is that what we're going to do, you think? Or is it just working for now in the teams we're playing? Well, it seems to be sort of Kenny Hinckley's thing that he loves the, the plus one down back and using that mm-hmm. as a slingshot. So, I don't know. At this stage, I don't really see that changing. Um, yeah, I, I don't really see that changing at this point. It's just who's going to be that halfback, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I guess we're talking about, you know, Charlie Dixon and what you paid for him and I hate to say it but like if you're looking at an area on the ground where we do have a, a surplus of something it's probably those attacking halfbacks in which case you might see one of them if we bring someone in you might see one of them out potentially yeah I, I think that's um, a fair call and I, I can't I apologise to the poster who actually suggested this but um, the Tom Clury potential trade might be Something that might come up because he's one of those surplus yeah. halfback flankers, maybe lacking a little bit of opportunity at Port, that might need that extra opportunity at Gold Coast. And you've got to offer, you know, something of quality. So maybe Gold Coast might be allured by his endurance and still his young age and uh, and the potential upside from from someone like him. Now I'm not saying direct swap with uh, Dixon, but yeah, I thought that was a very good suggestion by whoever that was. So I apologise. Yeah, I don't see Cleary leaving. He just signed a new contract a couple of months ago, so I don't really see him leaving. Yeah. yeah. I can see one of those sort of back flankers leaving. We've got Impey there. We've got Burn Jones as backup. You know, we've, got, um, we've got players there to, um, you know, to cover someone if they do end up getting traded or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point to see what happens. And, of course, we've still got Jonas there as well. And, you know, Hartlett has played sort of, you know, down back a fair bit this year. Mm. Uh, yeah, we've I'd, got options, which is great. I'd be more than happy to offer up um, Cam O'Shea. Now, now. Let's <laughs> not say things we might regret, Rick. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I just yeah, had to step. What? <laughs> huh? Sorry, say, Hello? <laughs> You're breaking you out. Be a really big fan somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> so, Johnny Butcher. So, the lobby. The Lobie Rider partnership that was um, that was back in action again, and how did you think that worked on the weekend? Well enough, um, yeah. It's like we discussed last week in that when they're both in the side, they both want to be the number one ruck, and we've seen that before with Port Adelaide. But they've just got to work it out, I guess, and work out how they can be different and but both still useful, so that they can have better matchups in ruck. I don't like it. I don't think it works. And to be honest, I don't think it fits um, Ken Hinckley's running game plan, to be honest. And um, I, I think personally we look better with an extra runner and one Rutman with support. And uh, you know, if that means one of them has to play in the seconds, if we're, we're not going to trade them or they don't want to leave, which is fair enough. We just Obviously, we just signed... Um, um, Ryder, so I doubt he's going anywhere, and we signed Loby to 2019 or whatever it is. So 
yeah, I just think we are much more suited to, yeah, the one ruck with the running game plan. So, you know, the riders' influence was down, I thought, overall in the game. And it's I guess it's hard because it was a wet game as well. But um, And uh, at least Lobie's tackling pressure was up to a performance level that we would have expected from last season and the season before. But, yeah, I just don't see it fitting. I think there's a really awkward situation there in that we sort of talk about, okay, how do you play your rucks? And you say, okay, you're going to play lobby mostly as ruck and you're going to play rider as a ruck and then up forward. But that almost feels like we're rewarding lobby for the fact he can't play other positions very well um, because it's pretty clear that rider loves being number one ruck and he's happy to go forward. But I think it's a bit like Jackson Trengove and he wants to play a position. And like I said, if, if, if the only reason we play him up forward is because we don't think Lobby is particularly good at any opposition, then that's a real problem going forward for the for the um, for the duo and for the club to sort of resolve that conflict. Well, what would you do, Portia? <clears throat> it's really hard to say because, like you said, you talk about um, the running style of game plan, and then it comes down to. Uh, is Lobby really suited to that? Like, I mean, he's a bit like a, a going back a bit, a bit like a Matthew Clark Ruckman, um, and we've got a Sean Wren. Um, it's pretty easy to choose who you want to have playing, um, and you want your Sean Wren in there. Matty Clark stayed around on the list for a long time at the Crows, but ultimately, like, they could have done without him. I think mostly. Don't know. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Do we think it's going to be something that really comes to the fore next year and beyond with? Um, less interchanges coming in next year. You know, if they do go for maybe um, a cap of 80 interchanges, is that really going to play into our hands playing too, Ruckman? Are we going to see a, a real change in how the game is played in terms of having more stay-at-home forwards as opposed to the sort of basketball-esque um, sort of football that we see nowadays? Um, I think what we're going to see is that we'll have a, certainly two rucks, I think, will come back. Um, but as to how they play, I mean, the whole idea of slowing down the game is it increases the need for endurance players. So it might be that we see a bit of speed taken off the game um, for a lot of players. It might mean that we get more pluggers coming back in the game and performing well. Um, it's kind of hard to call. Uh, and what happens next year, that might not be the final solution as well. I mean, that might be that in two years' time, clubs work it out what they actually need to do. So it's something that's going to unfold over multiple years. Um, so it's really hard predict unfortunately. Again even with the lower rotations you still need Loby to be influential around the ground um, I just can't see us being able to carry um, two ruckmen where one of them can only really ruck at a contest and, and that's about their influence um, I just think it's uh, a bit too limited in my opinion and uh, we're, if we're going to decrease the rotation surely we want another we want another um, midfielder on the bench to still continue that run. Yeah, um, I think one interesting thing about it is that if we can get Lobby and Ryder playing, but they have different rucking styles, which to be fair, they already kind of do, um, then the fact that there's a low number of rotation makes it, makes it more feasible for us to get a winning matchup on the opposing ruck by putting up against a style that they are not as good as at rucking against. And the fact that there's less rotations, I mean, there's a limit to how much other clubs are going to want to uh, use rotations, changing their ruckman in and out. But I think the fact that Lobby isn't playing well elsewhere, that's just a real hole for us. Maybe mm. he does get traded. I don't know. But, but who do we bring in, you know? Um, 
Who do we bring in that we know can play two positions? I don't think that we have anyone on our list that we. Charlie know. Dixon. No. Hey. Hey. No. No. But would we? Yeah, I'm with you with the no. But I mean, I guess would we be, or would Hankley be tempted to look at? Let's full time ruck, um, Ryder, and we've got Dixon, Trengove, Westoff, three pinch hitters that can can sort of do work around the ground. I kind of wonder whether we look at the guys like Frampton, for example, or even I suppose even someone like Logan Austin. Um, he's tall enough, I think. Um, is that what I'm thinking of? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, Logan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, and bringing them in. So if you trade out Lobby, it doesn't mean you have to replace with a prime ruck. You can replace with a developing ruck slash something else, um, and that can work. Um, it means you're a little bit exposed, but you're already a bit exposed having a player that can only play ruck. Um, so having a player that can play ruck in somewhere else but not quite to the same standard, you can potentially cope with as a backup to Ryder. But, um, you know, then if Ryder gets injured, we're super, super exposed. So it's it's a risk. It's a big risk. But that could be what happens. I don't know. Or they could just keep backing Lobby in because he's a hard worker and they've got faith and then we'll just have an awkward situation for next year and the year after and then something will happen. And I, I know you wanted to talk about Johnny Butcher, Porsche. Yeah, what do we think? <laughs> well, he's now kicked, what, one goal in three games. So as a forward, he's probably not done his job. Haters going to hate... Such a well, I, thought for th- I thought for three quarters he was pretty ordinary, and then in the last quarter he just uh, he absolutely shone and started to lead properly and took a couple of really good marks and you know looked really nice as that sort of lead up forward. All right, so why are so many people so supportive and in love with John? Because we oh, all want him to succeed so bad. We've followed his career since his draft year where we we were all pleading that he fell to us and he did and then he kicked those six goals against the dogs and you know he was the one shining light through that second half of 2011 and you know we we've just always wanted him to succeed so bad and i don't know that sounds that's like true probably man. why in, in i mean account- in, in, in sort of um it, it's i guess it's almost like the Truman show a little bit but um i don't know it, in the end, his uh, his actual output's probably no better than Daniel Stewart, who no one liked. But you know, Johnny Butcher, you know, he's attractive fella. He's wearing number eleven. You, you got to love him. You got to back the butch. And I think that in accounting terms, it's uh, kind of chasing a sunk cost in that we've put so much uh, hope and a good draft pick and a lot of requirements on him over such a long time that we're just so desperate for him to do well that we just try and see it when it's not there. Um, it's really hard to take that out when you sort of got emotionally attached and thinking, oh, yeah, Butch is wearing number 11. How good is that? You know, Scotty Hodges. Um, and just getting all that built up and then detaching from that to make a clinical decision. I mean, we know that, you know, that's why fans aren't coaches and why they don't run this list because for the most part, fans don't like making those decisions uh, or, or thinking about that sort of thing about their, their player that they like. It's a good bloke being cut because he's just not up to it. It's not fun. It's not fun for anyone to think about. So fans try not to. They try to think, yeah, Johnny Butcher, good on him. That's it. I think he's showing something, though. I um, I think he's given a glimmer. I, I could, I, If he was delisted, I could see why he's delisted. And if he's given a one-year contract or a, or a rookie contract, I could, I could see why. Um, yeah, and I guess with our shortage of tall forwards, there could be a, a reason 
um, if we've got enough players that are who are expendable to to cover the um, the tran- the transfer of players in the off season. But um, it will be interesting to see what his fate is uh, this trade period. Well, I mean, what we were talking about earlier, or I was talking about earlier in this podcast, was that you know we're talking about how the bar for young players coming into the side it was actually really low when we were talking about Andrew Moore and Aaron Young and everyone, Ben Newton even, there were still some fans after he debuted. Um, and I feel that we're looking at Butcher now and it's, I think it's just exactly that same thing. And we have setting some a really low bar for what we expect from a rookie key forward coming into the side because he would be one of the worst in the league this year, I would imagine. For a young key forward coming into a side, he'd be one of the worst for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think he's I think he's cooked. Haters gonna hate. Stick up for the butch. Come on, guys. He's a Port LA player. He's gonna call you Al soon, the pair of you. Bloody haters. As I said, I love the butch, but his output doesn't match the people's love for him. But that's okay. I mean, it's... I don't know. Maybe we, maybe he will get another year next year. Three I mean, contested it's hard to say. I mean, he's our most, he's our most ready to go... Key forward outside of the um, the guys that play every week, so I don't know. It, it's it's a really tough call. I can you know if he gets delisted, I probably won't bat an eyelid. If he stays on the list, good on him, and I hope he succeeds. But I don't know. It's it's a real fifty fifty call on whether he stays or not. Do you think we keep a spot on the list for he's a good bloke because we had Cameron Hitchcock go, and this year we'll probably have Paul Stewart go? Do you think that that opens up a spot for he's a good bloke keep him around another year or? Like, I don't know, is that something we actually do, keep on character? Because it feels like we do sometimes. Uh, we keep players that are just good guys a bit longer than we probably than we should. I don't know. What do you reckon? <clears throat> yeah, he's, right. he's also the player with the most experience of any of our young key forwards. And the only way that, I guess, the younger guys are going to get any sort of experience is just to bite the bullet and, and play them. But, um, yeah. you know, I mean, if we're going for a premiership or whatever, and, you know, we've got, you know, Maybe Charlie Dixon and Justin Westhoff, then butchers the next in line. Mm. Um, are we going to win a premiership with you know either Schultz slash Dixon Westhoff and then Shaw and Harvey, who haven't played a game and Shaw's perpetually injured? Well, I've got to say Harvey. A lot of people have been calling him to play, but you know I just don't see what he's done in the SANFL to actually deserve a call up. I mean, surely we're selecting players that have to do something to warrant a call-up. And, and he's one of those players where I think he's sort of... He's still plying his trade and learning, but I haven't... He hasn't really taken the SANFL by storm uh, to actually show us anything. And the same with Mason Shaw. Ne- neither is he. I mean, obviously the coaches lack a bit of confidence in both of those players to uh, to come through and, and push for a spot on the list in the 2015 season. Uh, but the SNFL is such a different beast to the AFL now that I'm really not sure that it's entirely relevant what the form is there. Like, if you're a key forward in the SNFL, you're playing a hugely different game to what you're playing at AFL level, and you're still dependent on what's coming up the field towards you. Like, that's a huge thing. You can do it with defenders and say, oh, you've got to be playing well, uh, and even then it's a bit iffy. But with forwards, it's just so iffy as what's going on, you know? Um, and we talk about like draftees playing against men in the SNFL and then they come through and it's still just a, a complete chook lotto as to what sort of player they actually are because it is so very different to what's expected. So I, I don't know that that really comes down to I think it comes down to his physical development and his work rate. Um, I don't know what his work rate and his physical development is, but I hope it's good or better than it was. 
don't know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's I only know. kicked 20 goals for the year, I think, so certainly his output in terms of goals probably isn't as impressive as, as some people have made out, but he did have a really good period of about five or six weeks where he seemed to be kicking two or three goals every week. Um, his last you know, three or four games have probably been a little bit disappointing, but I don't know, I still hold out hope for Harvey, and I think with another pre-season to get some more run in his legs, mm. uh, maybe trim his body down a little bit, he, he could certainly play a part next year. Yeah, hopefully. I still hold out we need it. Like... We need it. We need, we need one of those guys to stand up and make a name for themselves, because otherwise we're, not... we're pretty stuffed, <laughs> to be honest. We don't even need them to be fantastic. We just need them to be, you know, good enough Adequate. to get one or two goals a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If they can do that, then we're happy. I still if Harvey like comes idea. in next year, and, and say Harvey comes in next year and plays every game, I mean, I would take a 20 to 25 goal a season from Harvey next year. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I still hold out hope for Logan Austin out of the three of those players, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I think it... I think he looks the most natural forward, and I, I also like the idea of swinging him up forward and giving him a shot there instead of um, pigeonholing him as just a, a key back. I, yeah. I think he has a bit of potential. Yeah, well, I mean, if we keep him as a key back, then who's he replacing in that side? Like, we've got Carlisle who's going to be around for another four or five years, Tringove a lot longer, Ponchi longer again. Oh, I reckon, yeah. I reckon so. Oh. Yeah. So how old's Bobby? Yeah. 28? Oh, less than that, surely. But fullbacks go on past 30. Like, yeah. you know, that's not uncommon. He's 28 at the moment. Uh, He'll be almost 29 when the season starts. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, or maybe two or three. Well, he's still, I reckon he's still got three. Which, I mean, yeah. is going to limit, limit Logan Austin's potential when you've got Jack Homsch, which has now sort of cemented his spot in the side for the next 10 years. So there's... Yeah, so unless there's an injury, I'm, I'm assuming Clory we're trading out for Dixon. So, um, you know, and I, I guess you've got Jonas there as the fourth key back as well. And, I, and I've got to say, what a, a remarkable turnaround. Funny how someone gets jo- dropped in shocking form and, gets, uh, and then comes back and he's like in 2014 form again. It's just amazing. But, yeah, I, I think there's more upside to giving... Logan Austin, an opportunity up forward to see what he can show compared to just pigeonholing him back as a, as a defender. Well, I mean, it's what we did to Stephen Gillam, if you recall. Like, Stephen Gillam played defence all the time and then he just didn't get any opportunities at senior level because we had a, a rock-solid defence at that time. Goes over to Hawthorne, he's multiple premiership player, you know. Um, he could be, end up being really good. But if we don't put him in a position where he gets an opportunity to have a game, um, then we're just sort of wasting time to some extent. He's also a very raw young key defender. I mean, he hasn't played a lot of footy, and you know this is his first year playing senior footy. So, I think they'll give him every chance to develop, and you know maybe they don't expect him to play games for another sort of two seasons. But I mean, you know, I mean Trengo's what well, he misses, you know, five plus games year in year out. You know, I yeah. mean, Cleary does he hang around? Maybe we do trade someone like Jonas. You never know. Cleary takes his spot, and then suddenly there's a spot there for. Often as the next in line. I mean, big call. These things might happen. Yeah, huge call. Trade Jonas. No. Nah. That's going to get the natives restless. But I think we should move on and have a quick chat about the SNFL. Port won their sixth match on the trot with uh, another 37 point win over West Adelaide to secure second spot on the ladder. Uh, Stevie Summon and the captain kicked five. Mason Shaw 
uh, wonderfully kicked three goals and Luke Reynolds kicked two. Um, so I think we play uh, West Adelaide again this week uh, in the qualifying final, which will be on Sunday at uh, Adelaide Oval at 3.10. Maggie's! Yeah! 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 Woohoo! Gotta love finals time. Even though yeah, you're taking well, the piss, you gotta love you gotta love finals time. Hey, I was being serious, mate. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually interested in scrolling through the names of who's eligible and who's not today. Um, yeah. So the arch. I guess is the out. main uh, exclusion is Archie. Yeah. He's, yeah he's the arch. The arch is not eligible. So, which is a good thing because that means that he's stepping up to the plate with his performances at AFL level. So, um, yeah. that's a. That's a good thing, but um, I guess are we uh, are we good enough this year compared to last year? I think oh, it's a tough question. I think I'm not sure. I think our team was probably better last year, but um, you never know. I think we had um, certainly more AFL players capable of playing last year. I think there's a lot more of the SANFL guys playing at the moment, and it certainly seems to be a younger team this year. Uh, whether they perform when it comes to finals, I'm not too sure. I, I certainly hope so. And look, they're in cracking form. They're in uh, they're they're in winning form at the moment. So you never know. I mean, guys like Mitchell are performing excellently. Moore, Stewart, Summerton, um, Cahoon. I mean, these are our senior players. Logan as well. I mean, they're all playing fantastic footy. And you know, if if they do get you know two or three of those um, AFL guys coming back in, like Sammy Gray and Johnny Butcher, then you know maybe they can win a premiership. Yeah. Yeah. Don't all, uh, least, sound least, so excited. At least one of us could uh, feign some excitement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we got the Maggie show well, on Wednesday nights. It's true. Well, we're all pretty excited about one club, and I don't know. Surely this is part of it. You know, I mean, surely these younger players experiencing some final success is only a good thing uh, for their AFL futures. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 bonus games, realistically. Like, it's opportunity to show that they've got something going into next season that you don't get if you if you're in the top side. Um, you know, potentially if they keep winning finals and keep playing well, then that can look very good for them, and they might find their niche. You know, if they play the grand final, I mean, that's God. I don't know. Do you think the SNFL grand final is the same standard as an AFL game? I suppose it would be a lot of AFL games. Like, I mean, any Melbourne Demons game would be a similar standard. I think in um, terms at of least, pressure, you... it's certainly up there. I mean, this is going to be yeah. an excellent experience for guys like Cahoon, um, you know, guys like Burn Jones, all those guys that we've talked about in the last sort of half an hour, you know, guys like Mitch Harvey, Tommy Cleary, Sammy Gray. I mean, the experience they're going to get playing SANFL Finals footy and hopefully playing in another grand final can only do yeah. them the world of good. Well, and especially yeah. because of actually um, what it shows us about them that we won't see at AFL level is how they perform when they're the number one. Um, which is very important to know, you know, uh, because we can get you can tell you something about a player. Like we had, oh, let's go back in the day when we had what Mark Tyler playing second fiddle to Scotty Hodges. Um, it's nice to see what the, your backup players can do as number one in case you need them to, um, because we know that like next year, let's say we don't get Dixon, we keep Schultz, and Schultz gets injured. Um, any one of those key forwards, for example, they could be playing you know a serious amount of game time potentially. So it's good to give them an opportunity to show that they can stand up as the, the key focal point as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's certainly good to see if we can put in a good performance and keep playing and get some good pressure football. Um, yeah, it'd be good. 
Kay Mitchell was, a, was the star once again. He had 36 touches, 7 tackles, 11 clearances, 7 inside 50s. What happens with Kane Mitchell next year? I mean, does he stay on the AFL list? Do you think he's... I mean, he's a very popular figure at the club. You know, it's debatable whether he's good enough. You know, he's probably struggled at AFL level his last few um, few games there. Does he get another token year just to see if he can um, do what someone like Sammy Gray has done this year? No. I, I think... I think this is going to be interesting because what we'd ideally be saying is, you know, get rid of him. And hopefully we've had our eyes on some guys in seconds leagues or, you know, guys further down the list to other clubs. But, of course, we had Jason Coops have an interrupted season himself, um, which is not great, uh, certainly from his personal health, but also potentially in terms of the opportunity to scout other teams and scout the VFL and scout anywhere else and talk to players that are on the fringe uh, to bring in to replace Kane Mitchell potentially. Um so I wonder if we're affected on that and whether that'll impact on where, how whether we hang on to a couple of these fringe players because we've got to replace them with players that are... They've either got to have uh, a huge upside or they've got to have real playability um, in the short term. So uh, we know that Mitchell can do okay and he can play a role. Um, that role might be actually disappearing with the disappearance of the sub-rule to some extent, but you know, if, if we don't have anyone else lined up that we sort of think is a good thing, like from the BFL or from another team's list or the Waffle or wherever... Um, then he could hang around another year. I think it's. I think he's in the lap of the gods, and I don't think his performance in the next couple of weeks is going to make. I guess do I we think need... it's important to note that the draft this year is probably a pretty shallow one. Certainly, from uh, what I've heard from recruiters and uh, the people that follow the draft, it's you know you're capable of getting a good player in the first sort of twenty twenty five. Then it drops off pretty significantly from there. I mean, Vic Metro really struggled this year. WA's you know pretty, almost no one's going to get drafted from there. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a crapshoot in in terms of the draft. So maybe we make the decision to that it is better the devil you know this year and, and keep some of those guys around. Just on WA, we know that the this is the difference between WA and SA is that WA teams look out for their AFL teams, and I'm not at all surprised that gee gosh, isn't it amazing that WA had a bad year in the year that Fremantle and West Coast don't have good draft picks? Um, I don't know. I I think there's some circuits there. <laughs> Uh, they've done it before. They've done it multiple times before where they've just, you know, oh, gosh, we've had a shit year at the same year. There's a really great WA players at the top. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know what the synergy is, but I think there's probably some players there. But I'm talking really more about recycled players. Um, there's always yeah. a good depth of those. You know, they don't change too much from year to year. Um, it's really just a matter of looking around there and getting a good knowledge of that market because I think that's, if we're talking about delisting players like Mitchell, that's the sort of player we're looking at replacing him with, seeing if we can get basically an upgrade for a role that we need more um, than we need Mitchell. I think when you talk about Mitchell, if you look at the list uh, of injuries or uh, players that would be in our starting 22 that aren't, is you've got Jared Pollock and Ollie Wines. Um, so that's going to put pressure on um, our depth there, where depth players getting a game. Uh, so that means, uh, obviously, Aaron Young's going to be dropped back to the reserves. Uh, maybe, um, I'm just going on base, based on performance, so Carl Amon might go back as well, or potentially Archie. So, um, you know, do we need um, a Mitchell that's in that 28 spot for depth in case of injury, or do you flick him off and try and recruit a, a young uh, midfielder that we might get some some upside for in the in the future. I guess if we if we're looking at a premiership shot next year, well maybe you know a, a midfielder in the 
the mid 40s or 60s might not be uh, playing next year. So maybe keeping keeping him for that uh, for that fill in role to pinch hit if there is a couple of injuries might be worthwhile. And and then if uh, 2016 isn't the year, well then maybe we look at it from there. Yeah. Well, it, it's really... I can really see this being a year where we have our first draft pick, which may not even be in the first round if we do try and get someone like Dixon, and then our next two draft picks that we have to have are upgrade Sammy Gray, upgrade Nathan Cracker, and that's all we do. Yeah, I agree. That's quite probable. Mm. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be much going on there. Um, well, what it, I know you've probably discussed this, but... What do you guys think about the potential, and we're going away from the magpies, of handing over our first-round pick for Charlie Dixon? Um, it's never great, but what would we use it on? Like, okay, ignoring the, ignoring the field, ignoring the field of players that are available and what depth it is or anything else. Like, if you can bring a young 18-year-old into our current first 22, potentially, who do you draft? And I don't think there's anyone we can draft with a first-round pick this year that will make a huge difference next year. Um, they might be a good mm. player, but we're not going to draft a key position forward with our reasonably, you know, our, our pretty average first-round pick and have them come out and play 20 games next year. Like, that's not really likely to happen. Um, well, the, only, the only random one would be that Burton from South Australia, um, but he's coming back from a broken leg and potentially we don't know what he's going to be like and he, he might not even get a game next year. Yeah, plus exactly. he's only 190 centimeters, so I'm yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's a tough one. I, I think if we keep our first pick, call me naive or whatever, but I reckon we'll be going Calamachi, 100. Mm. percent Yeah, you, you probably think that would be the oh god, I don't know because that just seems so choco. I mean, it does seem the... choco, but and it, it might be unfair maybe um, comparing him to that because a he's definitely first round quality. Yeah. He may slide further than that because he didn't have a very good championships um, but he has played some pretty good senior football recently um, you know, he is the brother of um, and he is that sort of um, player that maybe we lack and in a couple of years he'll be, you know, again similar to Carl Amon, he's got that sort of Chad Wingard skill set where he can take a hanger super quick great around goals, can hopefully go into the midfield um, and you know, I mean that's probably the sort of player that we would want to pick with our first round pick if we keep it. Yeah, I, I've got to agree because I just thought just occurred to me, which is that we've talked about how we've one of the most attacking sides in the last couple of years, but that our actual key, our actual half forwards have been sort of middling. I mean, we've got Chad Wingard who is just in a zone of his own, but then like our ones below that, they're they're pretty good, they're okay, and we could certainly recruit more. I don't have anything against that, and like we we're just sort of using as a qualification, like. If you draft for Keith, oh, sorry, a half forward with your first round pick, there is a chance they'll play games in that first year. And if, as Rick said, we're aiming for a premiership next year, that's ex- that could be exactly the sort of pick we make. So yeah, I think that, that certainly could be a go. But I, I think that if we traded that pick away, I don't think it would um, hurt us too much. I mean, it might further down the line because we've got a key forward problem, but I don't think it'll hurt us in the next couple of years. Well, we'd be trading for Dixon, who would be at least a what. Six-year player. Yeah, so that'd be great. He's, what, 24 at the moment. So, yeah, certainly that's the case. I mean, there, there are some decent-looking sort of key forwards, I think, that might be around at our pick in the first round or yeah, it might be a bit of a reach, maybe chasing someone like a, a Mackay or someone like that. I'm not too sure. But um, I think 
Yeah, I mean, this is the sort of trade that you just got to make. If you want to win a premiership, yeah. I mean, these are the trades that you do. I mean, mm. you know, to trade a, a first-round pick for a, a ready-to-go key forward that can take a strong grab, that can kick, you know, he's averaging, what, three goals a game. I mean, you know, I, I think you've just got to, you've got to make that call and you've just got to do it. I hate to say it, but I guess I would look at it this way. If I'm going to compare myself to the recent times best, what would Hawthorne do in this situation? And because they've been the benchmark now, and they would they would do this deal in a heartbeat. They'd give it away to to get that to get the player that they need to fill that gap, and that's what's given them their prolonged success. Um, so yeah, I mean, if we can get Dixon without using it, even better. But if we have to forego it to get Dixon, I think he fills a real hole on our side. So you, you would be mad not to. Yeah, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, I think. Like, what we'd lose is not compared to what we could potentially gain. Yeah. That's it. All right, well, that's probably it for this podcast, so thanks, guys, for coming back on. Thank you. No dramas. Good to see I was able to derail multiple conversations once again, so my job is done. <laughs> yeah, I've got to get well, better. We've had our squeaky chair fix for the, uh, the last couple of weeks, so it's been great. Uh, Haters going to hate... Macca, crazy big owl. He must be at high. He must be on the Gold Coast with the kids because he's been very, very quiet tonight. I was, I was waiting for a bit of Twitter squeal from Al, and nothing has come through. That's it. Oh. <laughs> All right, peeps. Until next time, can't Port Adelaide. Can the power? Can ah. the Maggies? Wines, Gray, fancy, well done. Still Gray, handball's good. West off, could kick a goal from here. He does. What a start. 